This morning, we're going to close out our series in the book of Proverbs, the series that we titled Wisdom for Life. So let's read God's word together, pray and dive into it. Does that sound good, church? Yes. Are we awake? Yes. Are you with me? Yes. All right. Proverbs chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Uh, our key verse is verse 10, which will be on the screen. But I want to begin in verse 6 this morning. God's word says this, for the Lord gives wisdom. Everyone say wisdom. The Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Key verse here. For wisdom will come into your heart. Everyone say heart. heart. Wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Let's pray together. Father, we once again come before you. Lord, and we do, as we just sang, we pray that you would pour out your spirit among us. Lord, we confess that apart from you, we can do no good thing. We need you, Jesus. We need you for everyday life, for every hour in our life. And so God, we pray that your word would come alive to us this morning, that by the power of your spirit, you would make an application to our lives. I pray, Father, if there's anyone in here this morning that doesn't know you, maybe they know about you, but not you personally, or maybe they know you and they've been walking away from you. They've been doing their own thing. Lord, I pray that by your mercy and by your grace, you would draw them back to you this morning. And I pray if there's any in this room that do know you, that are trying to live for you, and that are just in a place of frustration, God, I pray that you would meet them too here this morning, that you would speak to them, that you would comfort them. And in Jesus' name, your church said, amen. Have you ever tried building something without the instruction manual? Wives, you can nudge your husbands at this time. Uh, I'm notorious for doing this. In fact, I asked my wife last night, I said, honey, I really need an illustration of me trying to build something without an instruction manual. She goes, okay, I've got five stories. Which one? She just starts listing and listing off these different stories. The one I chose to show, uh, share with you guys this morning happened at the beginning of the year. Uh, my wife is a thrifter, and so she was on Facebook Marketplace thrifting, and she found um, a bunk bed set. We've got two kids, one that is about three and a half, the other one about to be two, and they'd been in some cribs and stuff, so it's time to get them this little bunk bed set. So she found it on market, Facebook Marketplace. She goes and picks it up. It's been sitting outside, and so it's finally, you know, my day to prove to her what an incredible manly builder I am. And so I go, and I get all of the supplies, uh, what is supposed to turn into a bed. I bring it into the kids' room, and I start building it, and a couple hours later, I have what looks somewhat like a bed frame for a bunk bed. And so very excited. I invite Veronica in to come check it out. She comes in and she's a little bit confused and she shakes the thing and the thing almost falls apart when she shakes it. And she looks around the room and she looks down on what I thought were the extra pieces on the floor. And sure enough, they were the key screws used to put the bed together. And as you can imagine, with a little bit of frustration, I had to take the bed apart and rebuild it. Well, today, as we conclude our Wisdom for Life series in the book of Proverbs, I want to end our series by zooming out to see the big picture of Proverbs. That the Proverbs are designed to give you wisdom for life. That is heavenly wisdom for daily living, an instruction guide to building a godly life. 
Now, our problem, though, with a book full of Proverbs and principles is that we have the temptation to try and understand them with our head and put them into practice with our hands when we never let the principles and Proverbs sink into our hearts. Just like I quickly tried to build a bed frame with my head and my hands without really understanding how it works, so too we can try to understand the principles of Scripture in our heads and we can try to put them into practice with our hands without ever letting them seek into our hearts. And when we skip from the head to the hands without going through the heart, it will always result in frustration. So our proverb here in Proverbs 2.10 teaches us that it is only when wisdom seeps into the heart, it is only then that the knowledge and wisdom of God will become pleasant to our souls. It is only then that wisdom works. So the title of our message this morning is Wisdom That Works. And to illustrate this proverb, we're going to look into the life of a well-known prophet. He's a friend of mine. I'm sure you're acquainted with him. His name is Jonah. How many of you have heard of Jonah? Jonah, we're going to look into his life, really not about how wisdom works, but how wisdom doesn't work. All right, so let's look at Jonah chapter 1, and let's begin reading there in verse 1 to verse 3. Here we read God's word, and it says, Jonah 1 verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The first thing we're going to see in the life of Jonah is that fleeing from wisdom will always lead to foolishness. Fleeing from wisdom's voice is foolish. In fact, what we've been looking at through the Proverbs is that God is a God of wisdom. Therefore, when God speaks, wisdom speaks. And we see that wisdom is kind of personified in the Proverbs. That wisdom's voice is actually God's voice. And so as we see God speaking to Jonah, we're going to look at it through that lens of its wisdom's voice speaking to Jonah. And so what God does is he speaks to Jonah there in verse 1. He speaks to Jonah and he tells him to get up and to go to Nineveh. Now, Jonah is a prophet. He's a prophet of God. His father, Amittai, that word means truth. He's literally a son of the truth. He's a prophet of God. He's supposedly a godly man. But when God speaks, God tells him something that he doesn't want to hear. God tells him to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh, as many of you, I'm sure, know, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrians who were the enemies of the Israelites. They were his enemies. And so when God speaks to Jonah to go to Nineveh, we see that Jonah's response is much different than what we would expect from a prophet. We read there in verse 1, God speaks to Jonah. In verse 3, Jonah responds by fleeing from God. He's fleeing from God's voice. He's fleeing from wisdom's voice. We read that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This was geographically almost as far away in the opposite direction as you could get from Nineveh. So Jonah's going the opposite direction of God's way. Of where God's wisdom is calling him to. And before we really dissect and give Jonah such a hard time, I want you to take a moment and consider yourself and place yourself in Jonah's shoes. 
Because when I put myself in Jonah's shoes, I realize I have a lot more in common than Jonah than I might want to think. That there's many moments in my life when God speaks that I'm also hesitant and I'm tempted to choose my way over God's way. That I'm tempted to choose my wisdom over God's wisdom. In fact, I believe that's really the case for all of us. The book of Psalms says that we're all prone to wander. We like to be in control. We like to call the shots. Oftentimes, wisdom's voice, God's voice is calling us and we choose to ignore. We say, God, are you sure about that? Just as last week, Pastor Rob talked about us taking risk-taking faith. God calls us, God, are you sure you want me to do that? Or maybe God calls us to love our enemy. God, are you sure? I really think they need some correction right now. God calls us to humility. God, are you sure? I really, you know, I'm so over that. I graduated from that class. We oftentimes, we're so prone to being hesitant to God's voice, to wisdom's voice. We're prone to choosing our way over God's way. And if it's not our own voice, then what we often do is we adopt the culture's voice. We adopt the world's voice and it speaks loudly, does it not? We take cues from the world of what our marriage should look like. We take cues from the world of what our parenting should look like. We take cues from the world of what our private life should look like and and what it means to in, in a vocation and career and to work your way up to the top when God is calling us to work our way down in, in servanthood. So oftentimes we can be a lot like Jonah. We choose our way or the world's way rather than God's way. In fact, this is what's happening worldwide in the big C church. There's an entire movement built around doubting God's way, doubting wisdom's voice. Well, did God really mean that about sexuality? Did God really mean that about marriage? Did that, God really mean that about holiness? Did that, God really mean that about my speech or the way that I'm supposed to love my spouse or what my calling is on this life? I, I don't know. We're so tempted to doubt or to adopt our own wisdom or the world's wisdom rather than following God's wisdom. And when we flee from wisdom's voice, it will always lead to foolishness. In fact, the Proverbs is chock full of such warnings. Proverbs 16 verse 25 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 21 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Get this. Oftentimes we don't let God weigh our heart. We weigh God's heart. God, are you sure? God, are you serious? God, you don't really mean that, do you? We are so tempted to choosing our way over God's way. But the proverb tells us in Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. Here we see Jonah being foolish. And if we're quite honest with ourselves, I know, speaking for myself at least, I am so prone to doing this. In fact, I can be the fool many, many times. This is Jonah. Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And we read that God sends a great wind that creates a great storm. As many of you know the story of Jonah, he flees from the presence of the Lord. He's fleeing from the wisdom of God and he gets onto a boat. There, when he gets on the boat with sailors, this is their profession, this is their vocation. They're very comfortable in the water. They read that this storm is so great, we read that the sailors are afraid. 
So what do they do? They cast lots. The lots fall on Jonah, if you remember the story. And so the captain of the ship goes down to Jonah. And he's like, all right, Jonah, who are you? What do you do? And why are you here? And Jonah's like, well, I'm a prophet. I worship the God of the sea and the dry land. And I'm fleeing from his presence. And the sailors go from afraid to greatly afraid. Seriously, our verse tells us that in chapter 1. They go from afraid to exceedingly or greatly afraid. And so Jonah tells them, why don't you just throw me overboard? Well, Jonah's trying to, again, flee as far away as he can get from the presence of the Lord. These guys won't have me, and man, God's sitting in this storm, then what am I going to do? I'm just going to drown myself and go into the midst of this storm. And so the sailors are really reluctant. They don't want to throw a man of God, a prophet of God, over the boat. And so they try everything they can to get him back to shore, but they can't. The storm is too great. And so what do we know? Jonah jumps overboard. He's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. And, And real quick. We have to understand that when we choose to ignore or to flee from God's voice, from wisdom's voice, it will always lead to foolishness and attached to foolishness is always a storm. Now, not all storms are storms of correction caused by God, but you can best believe that every time we disobey God, there's a storm attached to it. In fact, it's Tim Keller who says quite clearly, every act of disobedience to God has a storm attached to it. Now, we don't like to hear that, but the reality is if we're choosing to ignore or flee from wisdom's voice, then that means there's going to be consequences for our foolishness. That's just what's going to happen. So when we choose our way, it doesn't work out. When we choose the world's way, it doesn't work out. There's a storm attached to it, but get this, in the midst of the storm... God meets Jonah. So we see God speak in verse 1. Jonah's response in verse 3 is to flee. But in chapter 2, verse 1, we see Jonah's prayer. Jonah's prayer. Read with me in chapter 2, verse 1. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. There at rock bottom. The lowest of the lows you could get, you're in the muck and the mire of a belly of a fish in the bottom of the sea. There he cries out to God. And notice this, that in the midst of the muck and the mire and in our foolishness and the rock bottom that we hit, God's mercy and God's grace is always greater than our foolishness. That is the good news of the gospel. That we are never too far from God. We're never too far gone. In fact, Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord and you can't. You can't get away from the presence of the Lord. The moment that he cries out to God, God meets him with his mercy and grace. You might be in the middle of a storm, a storm of correction because of your foolishness this morning. Some of you may be there. Choosing your way over God's way in your marriage, in a relationship, in the workplace, uh, with your taxes. I don't know. Anywhere. But the moment that you cry out to God, he's there. And the moment you cry out to God, he's there. And so here Jonah is, but this is my question to you. How do you respond to the storms in life? The storms that are brought upon by your own foolishness. How do you respond? And my second question is, why do we wait so long to ask God for help? Why? I know, I relate to Jonah in this. 
Moments where I've chosen my way over God's way and I'm just holding on to all my little bitty strength to try and show God, God, I can do it. And I hold on as long as I could. Look how long Jonah waited. He fled. He went to the boat. He went into the sea. He's in the belly of a fish. He's in there for three days. And then he cries out. Why do we wait so long? If you're in the middle of a storm this morning and it's because of your own foolishness, please don't wait any longer. You can cry out to God and his mercy and his grace is greater than your foolishness. But we must believe and we must understand that our ways, our wisdom and the world's wisdom never works. That's why we must cry out to God for his grace, for his mercy and for his wisdom to intervene. And so this is what Jonah does. He cries out to God. And God meets him there. We read, God speaks in chapter 1, verse 1. Jonah responds by fleeing in verse 3. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he prays. And in chapter 2, verse 10, God responds. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. God hears his prayer. His prayer was for deliverance. And God answers that prayer of deliverance. And so here we see that Jonah experiences for a moment a heart change. He makes these vows to the Lord that he's going to promise to sacrifice to him and live to him. And so we see that now he's going to begin to follow wisdom's voice. But the second point we're going to see in the life of Jonah is that following wisdom's voice can actually be frustrating. Following wisdom's voice can be frustrating. Check it out here. We see God speak for a second time now. In chapter 1, verse 1, he spoke for the first time. In chapter 3, verse 1, he's speaking for the, for the second time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. God speaks a second time and God says the same exact thing. Get up, go to Nineveh, call out against them. It's interesting. Wisdom's voice never really changes, does it? Consistency in wisdom's voice. This time Jonah responds differently. Rather than fleeing from wisdom's voice, fleeing from God's way, he follows God's way. He's following wisdom's voice. And what he does is he goes into the city of Nineveh and he preaches in Nineveh. And we read that the message that he's preaching is a message of judgment. But this message of judgment meets the ruler of the city. And the ruler of the city cries out to God in humility. He mourns before God and he calls for a citywide fast and repentance. And there is a citywide revival that takes place, an awakening where these people genuinely repent from their evil ways and turn to God. It's incredible. You would think for a prophet, this would be the success of an evangelistic mission trip. But notice, we see God speaks, Jonah responds. Now let's see his second prayer. His first prayer was for deliverance for himself. Notice his second prayer in chapter 4, verse 1. In chapter 4, verse 1, we read that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. 
And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and bounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah's upset and frustrated after following wisdom's voice because he wanted to see the Ninevites perish. In fact, we read that he goes up He goes up on this little spot to look at the city, just waiting for fire to come down and consume them all. And instead, they're repenting. While he's up there, all frustrated and angry at God and call out to God, this prayer of judgment upon the Ninevites, God provides a plan for him because it's really hot outside. God's been gracious to Jonah once again, and this plan gives him shade. And we read Jonah really liked the plan as he's there hating the Ninevites. But then the next day, overnight, he ha- God sends a worm to eat the plant. And when Jonah wakes up, he's upset that the plant has died. And we read this, this prayer of him is judgment. You see, he wants the plant to live, but he wants the Ninevites to die. That's his heart. And so God asked him two times, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? This is his response to his prayer. And then we read in verse 10, the Lord's response to him. The first response was he listened and delivered him from the belly of the fish. This is his second response. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Here, God responds to Jonah's prayer of judgment with multiple questions. And these questions are designed to get to the heart of Jonah's problem. He's trying to reveal to Jonah that Jonah rather a plant to live than the Ninevites live. And as we look and we consider here in the life of Jonah that following wisdom's voice can be frustrating when we don't let wisdom enter into our heart. In fact, I've got a diagram to show you about the life in the book of Jonah. The life in the book of Jonah we see in chapters 1 through 2. It's really crazy cool how the writers, I mean, it was very intentional in the way that they designed the book of Jonah, the writer Jonah. You see, in chapter 1, verse 1, God speaks. In verse 3, Jonah responds by fleeing. In chapter 2, verse 2, Jonah prays. That's the prayer for deliverance. And 2.10, God responds by listening to his prayer. Here we have Jonah fleeing from God. In fact, he's being rebellious to God. He's choosing his way over God's way. Tim Keller famously put it that Jonah is the prodigal prophet. Just like the prodigal son who's leaving the voice of the father and doing his own thing, this was Jonah. Jonah is fleeing from God. He's the prodigal son in chapters 1 through 2. But it's interesting you parallel that to chapters 3 and 4. And it's the same exact format. God speaks Jonah responds. This time, rather than fleeing, Jonah is following. In chapter 4, verse 2, he prays again. But this is not a prayer of deliverance. This is a prayer of judgment for the others. He wanted deliverance for himself to judgment for the others. And the way that God responds this time is by getting to the heart of the matter. And so we see Jonah being the prodigal prophet in chapters 1 through 2. But in chapters 3 to 4, we see Jonah 
as a pharisaical prophet. The pharisaical prophet, what does that mean? You remember the Pharisees? That listened to God's voice. They listened and obeyed the word of the Lord. They followed it to a T, but in the inside, they were whitewashed tombs. And they were frustrated with Jesus. Here is Jonah. Going from the prodigal, running and fleeing, that wisdom didn't work out, following his own wisdom. But then following wisdom's voice actually led him to frustration when he was just following God in his mind and not letting God's word and God's ways seep into his heart. So what the book of Proverbs has and the book of Jonah has in common is a very similar theme. And the theme is this. We are in need of Jesus. We are in need of someone who changes the heart. The book of Jonah ends with Jonah in frustration. And if you remember our proverb, chapter 2, verse 10, that when wisdom enters into the heart, our soul will be delighted. Well, Jonah was not delighted. He was frustrated. It speaks to a greater need. The greater need is for Jesus. And so our third point is very simple. This morning, it's our last point. Wisdom only works when you welcome him into your heart. It only works when you welcome him into your heart. What the book of Jonah shows us is our need for the greater Jonah. Jesus referred to himself as the greater Jonah. The greater Jonah who wasn't cast into the sea to save sailors, but was cast into death to save sinners. The greater Jonah who didn't come out of the belly of a fish after three days to deliver a message of judgment, but came out of the grave after three days to deliver a message of life. The theme of Proverbs and the theme of Jonah is the same. We are in need of Jesus. And if we want wisdom into our hearts, we need to allow Jesus into our hearts. For when we allow Jesus into our hearts, he brings wisdom with him because he is wisdom personified. This is who he is. We aren't in need of wisdom that is simply principles but wisdom who is personified in the person of Jesus. This is the wisdom we need in our heart. In fact, it reminds me of a prayer, a prayer that Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus and my prayer for us as a church. It's in Ephesians chapter three and verse 16. Paul prays this. He says, I pray that that he, speaking of God, may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let wisdom into your heart, your soul will be delighted. Paul's prayer is the same. Let Christ dwell into your heart. Now, this is important. This prayer is intentionally placed in the book of Ephesians. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul is presenting the gospel of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He's presenting it that we have knowledge of him in our heads. Then in chapters four through six, there's a transition that Paul makes. He says, in light of what Jesus has done, this is now what you must do. This is your duty. This is what you should be doing with your hands. This is why the way your life should look. But before he goes from head to the hands, he prays this prayer over the church of Ephesus. And that prayer is that the truth of who Jesus is before we do anything for him is that those truths of who he is would be in our heart. Not just the truth, but the person himself, that Christ would dwell in our hearts. This idea to dwell is twofold. 
The idea to dwell has the idea of inhabiting and influencing. To inhabit and to influence. Now get this. Jonah allowed God's voice, wisdom's voice, he allowed it to influence the way he was going, his mind, his head, but not his will, his heart. How often do we do the same thing? Where we allow God to influence our way and we're trying to live up to him in principles, but we only feel frustrated. We never feel like we're doing quite enough. We allow God to direct our way, but we don't let Jesus change our will, our heart. This is what Jonah missed. Jonah missed the heart change. That God would influence both our way and our will, both our head and our heart. See, here Paul is praying for those in Ephesus that they would go to infiltration. That who Jesus is and what he has done would infiltrate our hearts. The word infiltration means it's the process where water on the ground surface enters into the soil. Paul is praying for infiltration, that the message of Jesus would enter from the ground surface of our heads to the soil of our hearts, that it, it would influence both our, both our way and our will. But the idea to dwell in our hearts moves past just influence to inhabit. The idea to inhabit means to make at home in. Paul's prayer is that God would grant the church of Ephesus to experience Christ in their inner being that he would inhabit or make at home in their hearts. This does not mean that Jesus is coming over for a cup of coffee. This does not mean that he's coming over to stay a couple nights. No, the idea that Paul is praying is that Jesus would make a home in our hearts that he would move in. To every crevice, to every corner, in all the muck and the mire, that he would move into our hearts. Now often, if we're honest with ourselves, we're real scared to let Jesus into it all. We got some icky places in our heart. But Paul's prayer is that Christ would dwell, that he would inhabit in every part of our lives, in every part of our hearts. In your living room, in the bedroom, in the bathroom, in the dirty closet, and under the rug. He wants all of it. That is Paul's prayer, that he would have all of our hearts, that he would be inhabiting all of our hearts. And get this, when we let Jesus in, we're letting wisdom in. But when we let Jesus in, he cleans up all the mess. And of all of our foolishness and the muck and the mire of our failures, when we let Jesus in, he doesn't ask us to clean it up. He begins to clean it up for us. He begins to change and transform our heart and our lives from the inside out. We must allow Jesus into our hearts. When we do, wisdom comes into our hearts. This is Paul's prayer. This is what Jonah missed. But get this. Jesus wrote a second letter to the church of Ephesus. Do you remember it? In the book of Revelation, the seven churches, seven letters to the seven churches, uh, churches, one of them was to Ephesus. And you know what's so interesting about this is that he commends them for their productivity. 
man, they had the principles dialed in the head. They had the practice dialed with their hands. They were killing it as a church. But this was their one thing against them, that they left their first love. They didn't lose their first love. They left their first love. They fleed once again. They went to cling on to principles and practices and neglected the person of Jesus working in their hearts. Is it so prophetic of Paul to be praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts when just a few decades later they would leave him? They wouldn't allow him into their hearts anymore. Man, there's a great warning there. A warning that that brings comfort, that we must continually, it's not just a one-time thing, continually allow Jesus into our hearts to both inhabit and influence. So my question is, is there an area of your life that you're frustrated with? A relationship, your future, your job situation, health, Have you invited Jesus into that area? When wisdom enters into the heart, our soul will be delighted. Proverbs 2.10. When we let Jesus, who is wisdom personified, into our hearts, man, that is where our hearts will change. Have you let Jesus in? We're going to give you an opportunity to do so right now. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you, Lord, that you don't just give us a book of principles to live up to, but you give us a book that points us to a person that we can do life with. Jesus, I pray for those that are in this room. There are some that are, that are foolishly fleeing from your wisdom. that are trying to do it their own way and their own strength. And they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't wait any longer to call out to you. I pray that this morning they would call out and that they would experience your grace that is greater than their foolishness. Lord, I pray that you would change them, that they would experience your love, that you would change them from the inside out, that they would allow you into their hearts. And Lord, that you would both influence and inhabit the way in which they're living. Lord, that they would experience your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, you're in this room. And throughout this message, God has made clear to you that you have been running from him. You've been doing it your own way and your own strength. And man, it's just too much. You're in a storm and it's difficult. Can I tell you that God's grace is greater? Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his own love toward us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. In our foolishness, in our sin, in our error, in our failure, God was so determined to die in our place to extend grace and mercy to you. And just as Jonah called out to the Lord in his distress for rescue, you can call out to the Lord because he's alive today. And the book of Romans tells us, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that is you and God is making it clear, would you raise up your hand and say, that's me, God. I need you. Praise God. There's hands throughout the room going up. Those of you with your hands up, God is speaking to you right now. He's bringing you to a place of repentance. I want you to pray this prayer. This prayer doesn't save you. Your hand doesn't save you. It's Jesus who saves you. But I believe as you pray this prayer on the outside, it becomes all the more real to you on the inside. Would you simply just repeat this to God in the privacy of your heart? Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are God. 
I believe that you died for me. And I believe you're alive today. Rescue me. I give you my heart. And I welcome you in. In Jesus' name. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Those of you that prayed that prayer, there are many hands that went up through the room. There's going to be some prayer counselors during this next song. I want you to go up to them on either side of the stage. I want you to tell them that God just met you. And they want to give you a Bible. They want to pray with you. But his heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If there are some in here that you know God, you've been trying to follow the wisdom of God's voice, but you've only been letting it stay in your head and your hands without letting it seep into your heart. If that's you and you're in frustration, listen, God wants to enter into your situation. Would you welcome him into your heart? Would you welcome him into that area of your life? If that's you, I just want to pray this prayer over you. Lord, I pray for those in this room. You've made it clear who they are. They're in frustration. Jesus, I pray, Lord, that they would welcome you right now into that area. They would allow you to work and to move. I pray that you as a church, that, that, that you would change us as a church. Lord, that we would be a people that doesn't rely on our own wisdom or the world's wisdom or simply principles, but that we would be a church that is constantly transformed by you. I pray that we wouldn't be like Ephesus who in decades from now are doing all the right things but have left our first love. I pray that we would be a church that consistently and continually allows you to move and work in our lives. Jesus, we pray these things according to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.